like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animal, talking animal, talking animal. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Ginny Sweet, co-founder of Corsos for Heroes, a relatively new organization based in Lutz, Florida, that donates specially trained service dogs of the Cane Corso breed to military veterans who are contending with one or more disabilities so as to assist their return to civilian life. Sweet and Corsos for Heroes co-founder Harry Toro are members of military families, and that shared background includes close family members who, as veterans, returned from combat facing significant challenges, including PTSD. Their organization is devoted to training cane courses specifically to the individual needs of a particular veteran, then provides the dog to that veteran at no cost. This Sunday, February 28th, Courses for Heroes is holding an event at Harley-Davidson of Brandon, at which two men who have become disabled in the line of duty, Officer Adam Pierce and Staff Sergeant Albert Wren, will each receive a cane corso. The event will also include live music, vendors, food, and I'm guessing more than a few dogs. We'll hear about Courses for Heroes, how the program got launched, and why this Sunday's event and more when I speak with Jenny Sweet in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in the program, I'll speak with uh, Gretchen Primack, a writer, poet, and animal activist who some years ago poured her passion and compassion for animals into a collection of poetry called Kind. It's now being republished in hardcover with a new cover design, additional artwork, and 10 new poems. We'll speak with Gretchen about this new version of Kind later in today's show. Right now, though, let's discuss Corsos for Heroes with Ginny Sweet with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Ginny Sweet on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Ginny. Good morning, Duncan. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on Talking Animals this morning. Thank you so much for having us. We, you, we certainly appreciate it. For sure. So let's start by tracing some history, uh, the organization's history in a moment. But let's first explore your history a bit as it pertains to Corsos for Heroes. So I gather you're from a military family, but tell me more precisely what that means. Talk a little bit about your family, the veterans in it, and some of their experiences. Okay, certainly. Uh, so Harry Toro, my partner, um, he's from a military family. Um, his grandfather was in the military for several years, uh, and he was in different battles. Um, he's got cousins, uh, some nephews that are currently in the military, and they've all donated their service, and we just, we're so appreciative of, of those um, people that, that did that. So my family, uh, my father was a uh, second lieutenant in World War II. He was actually a pilot, um, and he served his time, came back home, and turns out that, uh, you know, back then in the, in the 60s and 70s, uh, the, the, the PTSD was pretty much known as shell shock. And uh, I actually, I lost my father to PTSD way back then. We didn't know it at the time. So, uh, you know, growing up, the veterans have always held a, a special place in my heart. 
Yeah. And we've always wanted to give back to them. So when we found these dogs uh, and, the, and the way that they interact with their humans, we thought we're, we found a gold mine and we decided to share it with the world. So, Ginny, given that the family background, it sounds like, again, that Terry has a kind of overlapping background, were you kind of thinking, hey, I'm not sure what it's going to be, but we want to do something that really helps these veterans. We can't put our finger on it just yet, but we'll know it when we see it. And then the Cane Corsos, I guess, came into the picture. Is that sort of how this came to be? I mean, in other words, was it sort of a light bulb moment that maybe you and Harry shared, or was it more of a gradual process that kind of led to the creation of Corsos for Heroes? It was, yeah, you're right. It was a light bulb moment. Um, we got these dogs. We got our first one about seven and a half years ago. She's the matriarch of our, our dog family. Her name is Latina. And after having her for about a, a year, year and a half, uh, the way that she was around us and around other people, we just, we thought, gosh, this is this is an amazing animal. So we decided to, to breed the, the cane corsos. It's actually pronounced cane corsos. Uh, so we... We purchased a couple more dogs uh, out of the 2015 world champion bloodline, uh, Brutus X-Man out of Barcelona, because we wanted to have, you know, the good foundation. You've got to have a good temperament and, and a good bloodline. So we purchased those dogs and we started breeding. Uh, our first litter was phenomenal. The, the dogs turned out great. And we were actually, we were selling them at the time. Uh, but one of Terry's uh, relatives, J.R. Aquindo, he's a special forces, and he'd been retired for several years, and turns out uh, his dog that he had uh, passed away. So we called him up, and we said, hey, J.R., we have the perfect dog for you. But he's like, okay, well, I'll come pick, pick him up. So uh, he, he picked up uh, little Nietzsche. He was a, a sweet little dog, and we actually call him a, a pocket corso because he's not the full size, like 120 pounds. He's only about 90 pounds. Mm. So he that's still that's still a pretty substantial dog, though, right? 90 pounds, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But muscle. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he picked up Nietzsche, and Nietzsche changed his life. I mean, he, he how so? What a great what a great companion. He he went everywhere with him. He would take him uh, to events and uh, everywhere. His vacation home. He would just go with him everywhere. So and Ginny, sorry to interrupt, but uh, was was Jr. when you guys offered him that dog? Was he contending with uh, PTSD or just difficulty going into crowds or some of the things that that veterans often report, even if they're not necessarily saying it's full fledged PTSD? There are difficulties going places where there are groups of people gatherings. Was he experiencing some or all these things when you guys offered him uh, Nietzsche? Yes, he was. Um, not not severe symptoms but you know they were there in the mm -hmm. background his family could tell and uh but when he received Nietzsche uh his family uh, his wife uh, and and close family members they're like calling us saying wow what a difference he's really calmed down he's he's relaxed uh he's not anxious when he goes out into crowds so Harry and I looked at each other like wow we're definitely on to something so at that point we asked JR do you have any other service members that maybe need a dog, uh, a service dog. And he, he uh, start, started searching for one, and he found one uh, through his network of veteran friends up in uh, Southern Pines, North Carolina. Uh, the gentleman had multiple injuries, traumatic brain injuries, PTSD. 
He'd had several surgeries. In fact, we had to wait uh, for him to get out of the hospital uh, before we could donate the dog to him. And that was uh, that was Sophia. We donated her to uh, the gentleman, and he has made amazing. Uh, or Sophia has made amazing differences in Joe's life. Well, this sounds very good, and it sounds like it couldn't be more organic, really, the way you sort of said, hey, this dog might be good for uh, JR. It's a huge, obviously, success. It makes a big difference to his day-to-day life. You ask him if he can recommend someone else, and then next thing you know, Sophia's being placed with the the guy in North Carolina that obviously has some serious struggles. Let me ask a couple other questions just that you sort of touched on along the way so were you and harry like dog breeders or dog people when this all began or how did this how did how did this really kind of move in the direction that it did so yeah harry and i are definitely dog people we we love all breeds in fact uh many years ago i bred rottweilers and i I love that breed uh but we were introduced to this the cane corso actually by one of Harry's uh, relatives, James Gunther. He called us up one day and came over to visit, and he happened to mention Connie Corsos, and we are like, what's that? We've never heard of that. So we started doing our research. Harry was the actual research uh, fiend. He just he dived in and, and found that these dogs were uh, like Roman uh, war dogs. They were bred to protect uh, the citizens, and it was their weapon at the time, back in like the 1700s. Uh, so we decided that you know this is a this is a very in- interesting animal, and we decided to you know, start breeding them once we had uh, Latina, and we we realized that yes, they really are special, more so than pretty much any other dog that we'd ever met. They're amazing animals. They have such a connection to their humans. In fact, Harry says it all the time, these dogs need humans more than humans need them. Hmm. They are, they're constantly with you. There is no alone time <laughs> when you have a Cane Corso. Oh, yeah. Shadow. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds like a great fit for the veterans that are, again, struggling in one way or another. It sounds like that's the kind of constant companionship and, and just attention is probably really valuable to them just day to day. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to guess that a number of people listening may not be familiar with Connie Corsa. Then, of course, I mispronounced the name. I mean, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with them. I, I I guess what little I've known about them, and it is very little, suggests that they were kind of more guard dogs, really, than service dogs. I mean, it seems unusual, maybe even a little improbable, to be especially well suited for both, just because it seems like the temperaments and personality traits for a guard dog or a protection dog would be at least somewhat different than the temperament and personality traits of a uh, service dog. So, I mean, obviously, I guess these these somehow can can be both. Can you sort of address what their background, what they might otherwise be known for before you guys uh, have that light bulb moment that we've already addressed and what other kinds of uh, situations those kinds of dogs, those courses typically find themselves in? Yeah, sure. So um, they can be pretty intimidating when you see one for the first time. A lot of people say, wow, is that a pit bull? Or I know they are purebred Cane Corsos. They're Italian Mastiffs. They're the original Mastiff. All the other Mastiffs came out of this line. Um, So the key for these dogs to make them great service dogs and great family protection dogs, you have to socialize them, just like with any other dog. Mm -hmm. Um, What we do is we, when the puppies are old enough and they've had all their proper stock, uh, we'll take them out. 
the public in the public, like down to Riverwalk in Tampa or to uh, a fair or an art festival. And we let people touch them, play with them, pick them up. So they get used to every type of person, tall, short, skinny, you know, Asian-American, African-American, white. They want to we want to be able to, you know, let the dog see all the different kinds of people. So they're never afraid of, you know, interaction with them and especially children. Let children play with them when they're puppies. So when they grow up, they're not afraid of children. Yeah. So, well, and so that I guess raises the question. So when they're at the Riverwalk or at a fair or a festival, what about the other direction? Like, are the people and maybe the kids a little uneasy about these dogs that, again, may look like they're pits or just are, are kind of sturdy, muscular dogs, even as puppies? So does it kind of work the other way where, in these, at least initially, maybe people might be a little uh, uneasy about uh, approaching the dogs or being invited to pet them, et cetera? Um, it does happen on occasion. We've had some people, you know, see the dogs and see their size, and they're like, nope, not going to go over there. And we're, we tell them, no, really. They're great animals. Just come with us. And, you know, we'll take them by the hand and, and introduce them to the dog. The dog smells them. Of course, their tail immediately starts wagging, and that puts the, the person at ease when they see that, that little nub wagging. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely helps. And then by the end of the day or, you know, 15 minutes later, they're usually on the ground playing with them. So <laughs> Yeah, well, that, everybody's pretty relaxed at that point then if you're on the ground playing. Yeah, that's yeah. that's good. Uh, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Jenny Sweet, co-founder of Corsos for Heroes, which... Uh, Based in Lutz, Florida, donate specially trained service dogs of the uh, Connie Corso breed to military veterans who are contending with one or more disabilities. If you'd like to ask Jenny a question about their services or the dogs or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So one thing, Jenny, that comes up uh, inevitably over the years when there's any kind of show or conversation that we have here about uh, service dogs is the question of with so many dogs, shelter dogs, rescue dogs, whatever being available and desperately in need of homes, the question of is it required to breed the dogs or might there be like, especially at this point, are there rescue corsos or shelter corsos and could they be introduced into the program so it wasn't strictly just dogs that are bred for that purpose? Yeah, so... Um, right now, we have been just using the dogs that we have bred, but we're certainly open to uh, rescue dogs uh, because not every person that needs a service dog really needs a Cane Corso. Um, I think they're specialized. They're, they're large dogs, so they should go with, you know, someone that needs assistance uh, getting up or, you know, the physical aspect. But um, we definitely would be open to using shelter dogs. And I think that's a great program. Um, we hope to expand to that. And we also hope to use other breeders uh, that have Cane Corsos uh, that, that would, you know, be interested in donating one of their dogs to the program. Uh, the only thing is when it comes to shelter dogs, they have to be a certain age. They have to be normally, it's less than two years old and they don't want them to have any uh, like, health issues because that could cause a problem later on down the road with uh, with the veterans. Um, so they have to have a clean bill of health and they have to be less than two years. And the reason they have to be less than two years, most of the training programs require 
that they be one to two years old in order to train them as service dogs. And that brings us, I guess, to a couple of questions. One about training, but actually one I'm going to ask that one of our emailers sent in this question. It says, I understand that any breed of dog is only as kind as it's uh, raised. However, isn't this the breed that killed a woman in California many years ago? Yes, it is. So, again, uh, the, the dogs that were in California in that incident, more than likely, were not socialized. You know, if you have an animal and you keep it, you know, just between yourself and your immediately immediate family, and then all of a sudden they see another person, or uh, that could cause an issue. They're not used to those people. So the key is, uh, you know, making sure that they're used to all kinds of people. You have to socialize every dog. Same thing with pit bulls and all other breeds. You must socialize them. It's very, very important to do so. So related to that, maybe this is a good time to get into the training. So are you and Harry, as well as uh, some of the breeding the dogs, are you guys uh, training them as well? Or is that um, is that handed off to someone else as part of the Courses for Heroes tr- uh, program? How does that work? So currently, uh, Harry and I are just doing basic training that stay, you know, leash walking on a leash, mm-hmm. meeting people, and, you know, not jumping up on them. Uh, that's the extent that we can do right now. Uh, and then we have several uh, entities that are working with us and with our veterans that we've donated dogs to. Uh, here up in Brooksville, there is uh, Canine Partners for Patriots. Uh, and then, like, up in Maine, there's another organization called Canines on the Frontline. And they're 501c3s, and what they do is they train dogs specifically for each veteran. They actually teach the veteran how to train their own dog. Um, Later on down the road, when we get bigger, we hope to have in-house training where we can have all of the training done right here at our property. Yeah. So, because it sounds like one of the features of the Courses for Heroes is that the dogs are indeed specially trained for the needs of that given veteran. So how does that work? So how early on does do you identify the veteran, that, let's say the next veteran that's probably going to get a corso, and then do you then through conversations, interviews, whatever with him or her, determine like what their specific needs are and then shape the training at a certain point? I mean, how, can, can you just sort of walk us through how that actually works? It sounds like it's really customized in a sense for that veteran and what their day-to-day life is like and what kind of challenges they may face. So how does that actually work? Good question. Yes. Yeah. So um, when we get the, the information on the veteran, we find out you know what their disability is, whether it's PTSD or traumatic brain injury, if they, perhaps they have a physical issue where they've lost a limb or they were confined to a wheelchair. Um, we go through the, the applications and then we compare them to the dogs that we currently have. Uh, sometimes we decide, uh, you know, if, if the veteran has small children, then we may choose a smaller female to go with that family. Um, and in that case, when they do have small children, they do receive the dog uh, sooner they usually get them when they're about three months old, so that puppy can, uh, you know, get used to the family and the children. That's a very important uh, thing to do. Um, so, like I said, some veterans have physical disabilities. I know that um, 
one of the one of the veterans, the gentleman up in Maine, um, he has issues for like kneeling down and then trying to get back up. So his dog um, is being specifically trained to brace. They call it brace. So she'll come up next to him and stand there, and he puts his hand on her back, and he assists him in standing up properly. So it just depends on each veteran. Um, another uh, aspect, we have two veterans that are going to be receiving uh, service dogs this Sunday at the Harley-Davidson in Brandon. They're both confined to wheelchairs. One is a, a police officer, uh, Officer Adam Pierce. He was shot in the line of duty in 2005 over in Orlando, uh, and he's paralyzed from the waist down. So um, the dog has to be used to, you know, the equipment that he uses, the wheelchair, um, anything that he uses to get in and out of the vehicle. So that's something else that we do. Um, Harry takes the dog. Uh, out in public, and he'll use a wheelchair, walking with the dog to get them used to, you know, not being afraid of any kind of a uh, a wheelchair or equipment that that the veteran would need. I see. Yeah, so it really does vary a lot, it sounds like, in terms of the the needs of the veteran, uh, what their family situation is, because it sounds like it's it's sooner, certainly expedited process if there is one or more uh, young kids in that household, from what you're saying, so then I guess the, the the training otherwise would continue even after that dog is placed in that household to get uh, up to the point where all the needs of that veteran are, can be fulfilled by that dog. Exactly. All right, let's take a caller. We got a couple callers that have uh, checked in. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with uh, Jenny Sweet. Hi, is this? Um me, right? Okay. Yeah, go ahead, please. Um, I'm calling. I first I want to say what you do I think is truly, truly amazing. Um, I am not a veteran, but I am a Corso owner and just a massive, massive owner in general. I've had a two English massive litter mates, um, and this is now my second Corso. He just turned five yesterday. Um, and you found very knowledgeable. We this poor guy's had a rough go. Um, we ended up rehoming him from um a soldier who was being deployed to Korea uh, back in October. So we got um, him from him and we're his third home and he just turned five. So he's been tossed around a lot um, and he's becoming more and more comfortable with us. And I am familiar with the aggressive nature of Corsos, um, but the more attached he's becoming to us, which is a great thing, he's becoming incredibly aggressive. Um, in, in what in what sense can you be a little more specific about how that aggression uh, is reflected? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, with my husband and I, he's a complete love bug. Can touch him anywhere. He's fine. Um, but even if we're walking him and we have him on a leash and we have him on, you know, his call his pinch collar, um, and someone could still be within like six feet away from us, if they even look like they're coming in our direction, he gets. Um, he actually has nipped someone before and broken the skin. Um, so now we're way more cautious. Well, I mean, we've always been cautious, but that was someone that he had a formal introduction with um, twice. And the man still approached us and he had met the dog twice. He still punctured his hand. Um, so that was one time it happened. Um, and he's just becoming more and more aggressive with other people he's met, like my mother-in-law, just not wanting them to come into their own home um, if he is there. So we have to be very careful if anyone is coming into the house. And I just, I know what you just said a couple of minutes ago about being, you know, just indulged with a whole bunch of different people when they're puppies, really trying to help with that. 
but since you just turned five, what might you recommend um, just training? Because we are going to do training with him um, or like a behaviorist or something like that. I just wondered maybe what your opinion was. Because I want to have a dog that I take with us places and he's comfortable around people. I know that I'd be a little more careful just because of the breeds that I love. Um, but I still don't want to have to just keep him cooped up all the time because I can't trust him around people. For sure. All right. Well, thank you for your call. Ginny, do you have some uh, comments for our caller? Yeah, I do. And uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, is, is he fixed? Uh, yes, ma'am, he is. We got him. He was um, an unaltered male when we got him in October, and we had him neutered in November. Okay, so that's a good thing. Um, and we always fix our dogs because it may, it actually lets them uh, live longer. Uh, right. It's better for them. So it, it sounds like, you know, he may have had past issues. Um, and I think that since he was just sick, you know, in the past six months, um, I would give it a little bit longer. Usually they do calm down and, and uh, get less aggressive once the all that testosterone is out of their system. Um, as far as socializing, so does he stay mainly in the house with you or, or what's the situation? Um, so, yes, I work four days a week. I am home with him three days a week. And I also know they're working dogs, so they, they need a job. Um, and I think maybe that's something I need to kind of figure out. I do walk him six miles a day, um, so I try to get him outside and give him as much activity as possible. Um, but he is home with me. And then if we go anywhere, like on the weekends, or we, we live in a very rural area in Arizona. I'm actually from Luke, Florida. And I'm going to be home for four months at the end of the year, and I would love to meet you guys. Um, but so he goes everywhere with us. He loves to go in the car. I'll take him to the lake. Um, we just have to be pretty cautious, and we just kind of stay more isolated from where groups and where other people are. But we don't leave him home by himself. He he doesn't like that. He has really, really severe separation anxiety. Okay, yeah. So uh, my recommendation, I would find a good trainer. Uh, they they can work miracles, believe me. Uh, I've seen dogs change from being aggressive to just great big love bugs, like you were talking about earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. I would look for a trainer. Um, I'm not familiar with any out in your area, uh, but I would do a search online uh, for behavioral uh, trainers that can you know help with that with that uh, issue. Okay. Yeah, I would just say because we got to move move along here, but I appreciate your call and, and your question, caller. And I would say that we've had a couple of uh, notable trainers on the show recently: uh, Trish McMillan and Michael Shikashio. You can check TalkingAnimals.net for information about them, and I think one or both of them do online training through Zoom or whatever the the method might be. So even if they're not in the same city as you are, they they might be helpful. There might be others that are counterparts that could be closer to you and actually work with. Uh, with you and the dog in person, but it uh, sounds like that's definitely what's called for here. Thank you so much for your call. Okay, so Ginny, let me ask this. So it sounds like it's kind of in the early going. The initial dog kind of just happened, and then you asked that veteran who he would suggest. But at this point, I'm sure like you kind of, there's probably momentum and probably a huge desire for to provide more dogs to veterans. So how does that work? Tell me a little bit about the process for how a veteran would be paired with a dog and especially like the criteria you would use to select that veteran because I'm sure there's already now way more veterans that are interested or that you have in mind than, than dogs that are ready to go. So how do you make those selections? So uh, we do have a waiting list. 
um, word has spread, uh, word of mouth, and then we've had other events that uh, people have found out about us by. Um, we have a waiting list. What we what we require is the veteran has to be or has to have a honorable discharge, uh, and they have to be able to provide us with the paperwork showing that they are um, a disabled veteran. It doesn't have to be 100%. They can be, uh, you know, like 50 to 70% disabled. Mm-hmm. And they also um, have to, um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> the criteria you're telling me for how you select which veteran will get the next dog or one of the next dogs. Yes, yes. So uh, when they contact us, oh, and they also have to have a letter from their doctor advising that a service dog would be helpful to them. Okay. Um, that's, that's the basic requirement. Uh, we do like to meet each veteran. Uh, if they're out of state, then, of course, we, we would have a, a phone call with them. Um, Harry and I will you know, talk to them, find out what their issues are, and just kind of get a feel for what they need. Um, some of them, they already know exactly what they need, uh, and they can tell us right off the bat. Others, we kind of have to you know, work with them a little bit and find out uh, uh, more information. Uh, and we do select the dogs according to you know, what the veteran is what he needs immediately. Sure. Um, we've selected females uh, for certain people. Uh, we have a couple larger males that we've given to to veterans that uh, maybe they're a little bit older. Uh, we have like a, a year and a half year dog, year and a half old dog that is looking for a veteran. Uh, in that case, we require that since the dog is older, that the veteran doesn't have any small children. They can have like teenagers, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but it just depends. You know, we we take each veteran or first responder uh, on a case case basis. And how many uh, veterans uh, have you placed dogs with thus far? We have donated 10 dogs so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've got these, these two coming up this Sunday. Right. And we've donated one to the officer. That's the, the one from Sunday as well. Yeah. Um, let's see. And we, oh, we also have uh, an officer, a retired officer down in Port Charlotte that has one of our dogs. Okay. And it sounds like you're really, uh, to the extent possible, gearing up to expand the operations so that there can be more dogs given more readily as you do expand the operation. Yeah, we hope to donate between 40 and 50 dogs this year. Now that we have our uh, 501c3 uh, in process and the word is getting out, uh, and I think that this event this weekend is going to be, it's just going to launch us. So where the public has more information about us, because people don't know where we're at. Like Harry says, we're just a tiny little spot on the map in Lutz, Florida. But hopefully we one day we want to have trainers in every state and, and dogs in every state to help the veterans. Well, that sounds pretty ambitious, but uh, you've already come a long way from just that, that, that light bulb moment that we talked about at the beginning of the show. So let's, uh, in our final couple of minutes, let's talk a little bit more about this Sunday's event. So first of all, it's this Sunday, February 28th. It's being held uh, at Harley-Davidson of Brandon. Just out of curiosity, what's the connection between Courses for Heroes and Harley-Davidson of Brandon? I mean, just as a location to hold the event. Uh, well, Last year, I think it was last November, we were over at the Harley Davidson in Tampa on Del Mabry. Mm-hmm. They have a they have a uh, like a monthly barbecue. Okay. So we went over there and we were talking to veterans and 
and sharing our story. And we met the event coordinator, Maggie Snyder, with Harley Davidson. And uh, she met our dogs and, and fell in love with them. And uh, she's the actual, the, the person on the flyer with the, the two dogs. That's Maggie. Okay. Uh, so she contacted us about a month and a half ago and said that uh, her management wanted to meet with us. Uh, so we went over to Brandon and uh, met with them. They advised us that they want to work with us. They love what we're doing. They want to make it a, a long-term uh, relationship, and they hope to have events for us every year. Wow, we're, nice. We're like, yeah. That's great. We would love to. Yeah. So the event itself, as we've kind of touched on, I guess the core of it will be awarding dogs to two men who became disabled in the line of duty. But there's also, sounds like, I think it's what, from 10 to 4, as I recall. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, but it sounds like there's live music and food and vendors and uh, I'm sure plenty of dogs roaming around and stuff. So it sounds like it'll be a pretty full day of uh, all kinds of activities. Yes. Um, they're going to have, like you said, vendors. Uh, there's uh, cigar vendors. There's um, T-shirt vendors. Um, I know that they're having the, the new line of Harleys are rolling out, and there's going to be a lot of foot traffic seeing those models. Sure. We're excited to see those as well. Yeah. Um, they're also going to have, like, face painting for kids for a small donation or a chance to get your picture with a puppy for a small donation. Um We'll be selling our shirts and uh, and some other items, and uh, I think it's just going to be a great event. I, there's going to be a lot of people there, and uh, we're going to get the word out, and we're thrilled. Yeah, and let me take this opportunity to mention the website is Corsos, C-O-R-S-O-S, for heroes.com. So you can find out more about the organization, a lot of things that we've talked about, some things we haven't had a chance to talk about, and, of course, information about this Sunday's event as well. So, And I have to say that just in sort of getting the word out about our interview, a lot of people, I, I think it's safe to say, were not familiar with Corsos for Heroes and seem to be really uh, taken with the idea and obviously just love the idea that there's an organization that's providing kind of specially trained uh, service dogs to veterans that, that have those kind of needs. So I think we have one more caller holding it. We're going to try to squeeze them in. We're just sort of really close to the end of our time, but let's try that anyway. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Jenny Sweet. Hey, how you doing? Good. How about I'm, you? I'm doing great today. Uh, I was wondering if they sell the puppies. We currently do sell uh, pups. Uh, we're working on pretty... Pretty soon, we're not going to sell anymore. We're going to strictly donate all of the service dogs uh, to veterans and first responders, but we are currently selling them uh, to help out with the, the vet cost. And I can get on the website and get your number from there? Because I have yeah. a Corso. And I'll tell you, I've owned a lot of dogs in my life. I mean, Roddy's, Dobies, Labs, Pits. This is the smartest breed I've ever owned. I'm telling you, I take him in Sam's Club. He'll sit on the cart like a statue. People think he's not even alive. And kids pet him. I have a blueberry farm. And I used to have hundreds of kids pet him. And never once has he ever been aggressive in the last seven years that I've owned him. And I got to say, it's a good breed. Okay, well, that's a, that's a great little testimonial as we sort of wrap up our time chatting with Jenny Sweet. So thank you, Sakala, very much for your, uh, thank for your you. input. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you. So, Jenny, it's been great speaking. We've been speaking with Jenny Sweet again from Corsos for Heroes. And, again, the website is corsosforheroes.com. 
And again, as we've noted a couple times, they have a big event coming up this Sunday, February 28th at Harley-Davidson of Brandon, and where two uh, dogs will be awarded to uh, men, very deserving people injured in the line of duty. So, Jenny, thank you so much, and we'll stay in touch, and good luck uh, this Sunday. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And also, we have a Facebook page, Corsos for Heroes. You can see videos of dogs being donated. Okay, great. All right, we'll check that out. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. And in a moment, I'll speak with Gretchen Primack about the reinvented edition of her splendid animal-oriented collection of poetry called Kind in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Right now, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Mike Feeney in a piece not entirely unrelated to our conversation a moment ago with Jenny Swede. It's called Service Dogs are a Miracle in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. They say uh, in New York City, if you can make it here, uh, you can make it anywhere. And that was written uh, for one group of people only, and that is uh, the blind. Because... I mean, if you're blind and you can navigate that eight-mile obstacle course that's mostly stairs, like, you can... Congratulations, you're a superhero. Like, I don't know how... I watched a blind guy make a subway transfer. Do you have any idea how impressive... That was, there was already another train there. He just popped up and walked across the platform with more confidence than I've ever had in anything in my life. I was like, how did he know that was there? Unless he's using his other senses where he's like, oh, that smells like piss. That's the cue. Like, how are you? Yeah, and he didn't have a dog either, which I also don't understand how those work. Um, It's been explained to me, but I'm too dumb to get it, I think. They're like, here's how the dogs work. Uh, They learn very specific routes over months, sometimes years. And I'm like, okay, cool, I get that. But then how do I, as the blind guy, tell the dog which route I want to go on? (laughs) Anybody? I mean, I don't know. You can't just be like, bank, and then he just goes to the bank. Like, what? He's he's a dog. Like, how do you know what I mean? So... I was talking about this in a comedy club, this actually, in this comedy club, and I'm not lying, there was a blind guy with a service dog in the crowd. He was in the very back of the room. Ironically, I didn't see him, but he was back there. (laughs) And he said, he was like, hey man, like I don't appreciate you uh, talking about service animals because my service dog cost me $60,000. Right? I, that's, I was like, I don't know the going rate of a service dog, but like, that's a lot of goddamn money for a GPS. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Get an iPhone, man. Like, that's crazy. If you say bank to Siri, she will take you to the bank. She knows all the banks. Like, why wouldn't you, you know? For $60,000, I will be your seeing eye dog. I mean, that is, that's the most money I've ever heard of. That would be incredible. Are you kidding me? I'll be your friend. I'll talk to you in English. I'll try to explain the color yellow. Like, it'll be a good time. That was Mike Feeney. In today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Service Dogs Are a Miracle, taken from his album Rage Against the Routine. Now it's time to speak with Gretchen Primack about the reimagined, somewhat souped-up edition of her animal-centric collection of poetry called Kind. This is Gretchen Primack. On Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Gretchen. Hello there, Duncan. Thanks for joining us. Rejoining us, I should say, you're joining us again, perhaps more precisely, on Talking Animals. Such a pleasure. 
So the first edition of Kind was published, um, I guess, around seven, eight years ago. We had an extended conversation about the collection back then. So before we get into the additions and changes behind this year's model, I'd like to ask you, I guess, just to, to sort of briefly describe Kind, what the guiding principle was, how you approached it in the initial version. Yeah, you bet. So it's a collection that explores the dynamic between us humans and the other animals on the planet, the other sentient beings that we share the planet with. And this seems like something really, well, certainly pertinent now, right, as we're thinking about the fact that pandemics are caused by animals and what we do to them. But all along, it's been really important for us to, to think about. And I wasn't really seeing books of poems about it. I was seeing essay collections about it, movies about it and such. But, hey, I'm a poet. You know, I wanted to explore it in a different way. And the way that we kind of divide animals up, these ones are for petting and, you know, putting collars on, and these ones are for eating, and these ones are for watching with a thing of popcorn, and these ones are to admire in the wild. And, you know, what, what, uh, what's going on there? What's going on there? Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to explore that. Like, okay. What's going on there? Yeah. Okay. No, I thought something happened. And I thought, geez, what did I miss here? I'm, yeah, I, I'm not paying attention. Exactly. The teacher's calling on me, and I'm, uh, I missed ah. something. But uh, <laughs> so, what sort of brought about the opportunity for this reimagined edition of Kind? Well, Lantern Publishing has published a lot about animals, but they haven't published poetry yet, and they. Uh, the staff there are big admirers of the book and thought, you know, maybe we are ready to, to foray into this other way of thinking. Um, so this is one of two collections that are actually going to be published by Lantern this year. And um, I'm thrilled about it. So they approached me about it and I was game. That's very cool. That's great. Just when you thought, all right, well, there's been kind and there's been another version of kind, whatever. But meanwhile, I'm on to other poetry and other books and other projects. Boom, this thing swings back around and like and it's really it is. I mean, the core book, obviously, of course, is the same, but there really are some notable additions or changes to this version. Do you want to outline what some of those are? Absolutely. So uh, one thing that makes me really excited is that it was an opportunity to add poems. And so there are 10 new poems, and those include uh, poems about the pandemic uh, and about climate change. And I'm really excited that there's one about fish. I think when we're talking about animals and thinking about animals, we forget about animals that live in water. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes me happy. And, um, and a few others that I'm, that I'm definitely happy about, and just bringing that very, very fresh new way of thinking and writing to a classic book. Um, and then also, this has very different art, and that makes me super happy. There's cover art from an incredible artist named Dana Ellen, who is based in D.C., and um, she also has several paintings in the book, as do the, another celebrated artist, Jane O'Hara, and um, an artist named Gus Mueller, who I happen to be married to. It's, it's good to it's good to know people. Just, no, it's very good to know people. Yeah. I think what we've uh, reestablished here. Yeah. But all three of them are extremely animal centric artists. Great. Really think about these issues, and it's a hardback, and it has a foreword by one of the greatest living poets, um, Tim Siebel. So I really couldn't be more thrilled about 
the changes. No, that's really great. And just as a quick aside, uh, Jane O'Hara has been on the show before talking about some of her truly uh, uh, inventive and, and exciting art. And um, I've seen the other art that's, uh, that you mentioned by, by Dana and Gus, and that's really uh, quite impressive as well. So, yeah, so I mean, really, it's I go a little far to say it's a whole new book, but it's, it's certainly reinvented in, in a significant way. Yeah, and a lot of people who, I mean, it just came out, so the orders are just starting to come in, but a lot of people are are reordering. They they did like the original, um, but, you know, there's something about the changes that really transforms the book. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. been a, a lovely um, side benefit is kind of re, reconnecting people with the original. All right, so I'm going to, in a moment, going to ask you maybe to read a poem, ideally, I guess, maybe one of the new poems that's just been added to this edition. Before, since we're talking about people ordering and getting maybe a second version of the book, let's talk about where people can get the current book, the new, the new high-octane version of Kind. <laughs> Absolutely. So one place um, is my website, which is just my name, GretchenPrimack.com. The benefit of that is that I sign all copies, um, and no matter how many copies you get, it's a very the same low shipping charge. Um, and if you put in the instructions what you want me to say, I will also inscribe it so I could inscribe it to you or to someone else. Um, it's also gettable on bookshop.org. I don't know if you're Listeners all know about this incredible new website, but it's it's like the indie and ethical answer to Amazon. Um, <laughs> so <Okay>. it's, <laughs> it's a collection. It's basically a collection of indie bookstores who together can have the kind of buying power and, um, you know, distribution power to have pretty much anything you could get anywhere else um, with a small discount and fast and all of that money goes to indie bookstores rather than a corporate monster <laughs> so there's that benefit so i would say either gretchenprimack.com or book bookshop.org and then of course if you have an indie bookstore near you it is orderable for any indie bookstore yeah so that's great and we should note that primack is p-r-i-m-a-c-k gretchen spelled just the way Pretty much Gretchen is always spelled, but so it's Gretchen Primack, P R I M A C K dot com for her site, which to me is, you know, always better if you can go to the actual artist or poet uh, themselves in their collection. But bookshop.org sounds funny. The only reason I, I laugh when you said that because I, I vividly remember our conversation several years ago about Amazon and just your uh, strong feelings that are not exactly pro-Amazon, which are totally understandable. So here's some great alternatives. So, Gretchen, in our last moment here, let's, if you if you would, reuse one of the, the, I guess, ten new poems that are included in the new edition of Kind. Sure. I'll read one that's called COVID-1. There's also one called COVID-2, which is longer and a bit more specific. But here's just kind of a general way um, that, I was, that I was thinking about a, a benefit of the pandemic, which I know is a a strange thing to do, um, but the fact is that when we're off the streets, other animals have a better time of it a lot of the time. So this kind of explores that idea. COVID-1. This year, spring and summer decided to go on without us, to roll in the fields while we rolled in our poison, the glory, the relaxed breaths of it. Spring and summer pressed against each other, not a reed fit between. They made us wait while the birds built 
and snakes sunned and crocs snapped at their frogs. The air milded and cleared far from our sick beds because of our sick beds. Oh, human, see, you are important. Biology, hubris, apocalypse, cages, carbon, energy. You are important, just not the way you think, just not the way you wish. Wow. Really, really great, really powerful. Uh, thank you so much. Well, this has been Gretchen Primack. Again, the new book or new edition of the book is Kind, K-I-N-D. Again, GretchenPrimack.com or Bookshop.org. If you're lucky enough to live where there's an indie bookshop, you can order it there. Gretchen, thanks so much for joining us again on Talking Animals. Good luck with the new edition of the book. It's been a blast as always, Duncan. You're the best. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. I'm Duncan Strauss. You're listening to Talking Animals. Coming up at 11 on WNRP, it's Rob Lorai with Radioactivity, followed at noon by Midpoint with NOLA. Then at 1 p.m., the music kicks back in with 360 Degrees of Blues, hosted by Harrison Nash, followed by Scott Elliott and the All Souls edition of It's the Music. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, is the prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering a copy of Rock and Roll Over. A CD of all dog songs. And the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's named an animal tune on Talking Animals on WMF. Arguably, we may have tipped our hand a little bit in the only the best way possible, and we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Next Wednesday, my guest will be Elizabeth Lowe, a filmmaker who directed Stray, a wildly inventive documentary about the stray dogs allowed to roam freely in Turkey. I hope you'll join me for that. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Rob Laurie is up next.